Uh, so this morning we have the privilege of hearing from the Reverend Chuck Lindquist, uh, who is a, he and his wife Cindy are longtime members here at Restoration um, and open up the word to us regularly. Uh, they're also retired um, Lutheran missionaries. Uh, so uh, I, I've already heard the sermon, uh, so I know you're going to be blessed by uh, Chuck opening up the word to us today. So um, let us pray together. Lord Jesus Christ, we, we love you. Uh, Lord, it is so good to come into this, your home, and to open up your scriptures and to be formed by you. You are the living one, Lord. Uh, and may we today be transfigured more into the men and women who you want us to be by the power of your gospel. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. Grace to you and peace from God, our wonderful Father, and the Lord and our Savior, Jesus. Amen. Thank you, Father Rick, for inviting me to share with you this morning. I count it a deep honor. And on, on Transfiguration Sunday besides, thank you. And thank you, Father Rick, for not benching me a few weeks ago <laughs> when you learned that I had taken a tumble in the woods and rolled down a hill and broke my ankle and fractured a rib, I didn't tell you, and then got fitted with a moon boot, you see? <laughs> I might have benched myself, I suppose, if it were not for the counsel of my orthopedist. Believe it or not, at Tria Orthopedics, a couple of weeks ago when I went in, right there in urgent care, I told a fellow that I'm a sometime preacher, uh, though you couldn't easily tell it by looking at me, and that from time to time, even in retirement, I may climb into the pulpit and, and preach. I asked him if he thought it was permissible. I wanted to be a good patient. Oh, yes, he said. Here at Tria Orthopedics, we like to put bones back together again whenever we have the opportunity. But the gospel puts lives together, he said. The gospel puts hearts together, and you should share it whenever you have the opportunity. Maybe you'll even get extra mileage out of your moon boot, he said. <laughs> so I talked with Rick, and he said it was okay. So let me tell you a story. I've got a transfiguration kind of story to tell you. It's a story about a, a busted life that I saw right before my eyes, transformed and restored, healed by encounter with a shining, glorious, amazing light of Jesus. Once upon a time, some many years ago, while Cindy and I were still living in South America in the high Andes, I sat down on a Saturday morning to read the news. In those days, it came on, it came printed on paper. This is a, a long time, you know, maybe before your time, but a woman named Martha came, at the, came calling at the gate. Martha was a member of our little congregation. I was at the time serving as the congregation's pastor. It was something like restoration, I suppose, just getting underway, kind of a lively sort of place, a lot of fun, a lot of young people. Pastor, she said, you must come with me to my home today, Martha said. My father has returned after many long years away, and he is broken. He is dying. He may die, in fact, today, and he wants to find peace with God. 
Okay, there weren't a lot of things that would get me out of the house that Saturday morning, but this was one of those things that church planters could hardly ever resist. We climbed into our old uh, Land Rover and made our way across the, the city to Martha's home. Along the way, Martha told me about her father, and uh, his name was Miguel. And uh, Miguel, from what I could gather, was pretty much hopeless. He was a notorious drunk for one thing, and it turns out that he was like sometimes violent, sometimes wildly abusive of his family and people who loved him. He was a lifelong philanderer also. Martha, I think, was his oldest natural child and a member of his original family, but he had many children and, or, and many kinds of families and half-families, other children scattered here and there all across the country. And Miguel was notoriously anti-church, like few people I've ever known in my life. Martha and her siblings were devout Catholics as children, and it was a kind of a coping mechanism for the family. But their father never ceased to berate them for it. Martha told me that one time she brought home a Bible from church, and uh, her, mother made a, her father made a great show of throwing it in the trash and, uh, and belittling them for it. She hadn't seen him for many years. And now, as it turns out, this broken man was, uh, was dying. He had stomach cancer and was in a great deal of pain. And he'd returned somehow to his original family to try to make peace and, if possible, to find peace with God. I found Miguel lying in bed, quiet as a sheet, and uh, shaking like a leaf. I'll never forget the scene. He corroborated everything that Martha had told me and added a few additional colorful details. He wanted me to know that he was like a thoroughly rotten individual, and he made it easy to believe. And then he told me about a nightmare that he was having a nightmare that he was having. He called it a pesadilla. It was no surprise. That's the word for it in Spanish. And, uh, and uh, he said that he had this pesadilla every, every, whenever he closed his eyes and drifted off to sleep, it was the same. And sometimes, uh, even when he was awake, it would break in on him. And it was always the same. I should note that Miguel was an electrician, but when he wasn't philandering, and uh, he had the kind of a nightmare that really only an electrician could have, I think. You see what you think. He dreamed that he had been summoned into a house to repair the wiring. This is something that electricians often do. And he, he entered the house on the ground floor, and it was like completely dark. He couldn't see a thing, and he felt his way along the wall, I suppose, to make, like look for a junction box or some, or some such thing. He became lost in the dark house. And he started to feel afraid in the dark house. Uh, he, he wondered what he had gotten, gotten himself into, like you do sometimes in pesadillas. And then he heard a voice coming from upstairs. It was a quiet sort of voice, maybe a little like the voice that Elijah heard at the mouth of the cave, kind of an indiscernible kind of a voice. And yet a voice that was like so powerful and authoritative that it just filled him with fear. And the voice said, Miguel, Miguel, 
you will never light up this house until you find the switch. <laughs> until you find the switch. And he just like shook as he told me. And then he repeated it, until you find the switch. <laughs> oh, Lord have mercy. And then he looked, he looked up at me and he said, Pastor, what could this mean? Okay, the technical term for moments like these is an opportunity for evangelism. <laughs> you ask Father Rick, this is an important part of the Anglican tradition, yes? We spent hours together that afternoon and talked about all kinds of things. We talked about brokenness that seems irreparable. We talked about many of the many dark corners of our lives that we make for ourselves and which we hide sometimes for years. We talked about God's healing of our brokenness and God's light for our darkness. And late in the afternoon, to make a longer story short, Miguel met Jesus. And his past and his present and his brokenness and his sin, his guilt, his shame, even his cancer somehow, were like transfigured, were like transformed in some way by the light of the gospel of Jesus. He found the switch, you might say. He found the light. The light came on. And then he began to see himself by the light of God's grace as forgiven and accepted and made whole again and redeemed in Jesus, in Jesus, only in Jesus. A few days later, he passed away. But not before, his whole family and all the ones who knew him like saw that this guy was different. He was a new man. He was a transformed person. In fact, at his wake, his oldest son, who was also an electrician, said, he told me, he said, I don't know whatever, whatever my dad found in the last days, I want that too, he said. <laughs> oh, good grief. So here's the message that I want to share with you on Transfiguration Sunday. Jesus is the switch. Jesus is the point of, connect, point of contact between the power of heaven and the darkness of our lives. Jesus is the switch. In Jesus, light has invaded the darkness. In Jesus, heaven has touched earth. And what was locked away upstairs has come on down the hallway to meet us. God himself has taken on flesh and filled our night with day. In Jesus, the light breaks through. And then we begin to see everything new. We see everything new when the light comes on. We see Moses in a new light, yes? Here he is on, G on the mountaintop with Jesus. Moses, it is said, you might remember from Sunday school, had an unusually shiny face. But it's not the face of Moses that's shining here. Jesus illumines Moses, not the other way around. The law is illumined by the gospel and not vice versa. Now we understand how the law works and how Moses works. The law is not about hauling ourselves up by our bootstraps. It's not about reaching the bar or measuring up. And it's certainly not a condition for the gospel. It's not about some kind of heavenly scorekeeping. The law isn't an end in itself. The law is like a schoolmarm, to borrow an image from uh, St. Paul. 
Uh, it leads us by the hand to Jesus. And we see Elijah in a new light. He's up on the mountaintop with Jesus too. Elijah was the kind of fellow you might remember from Sunday school who was able to call fire down from heaven whenever he had a mind to. But it's not the prophet who is flaming here. Jesus illumines Elijah, not the other way around. Now we see how those rascally prophets work. Their purpose isn't to, like, astonish us or intimidate us or much less to, like, terrorize us. The prophets would simply lead us to Jesus. If you want to understand the law, look to Jesus. If you want to understand the prophets, you look to Jesus. And then, listen to this. If you want to understand yourself, really, your deepest self, your truest heart, your life of faith, your, 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 your citizenship as a child of God, you know, again, you look to Jesus. The disciples stood on the mountaintop too, bathed in that same amazing, glorious light of Jesus. The disciples did, and so do you. St. Mark employs an unusual word to describe the transfiguration of Jesus. The word is employed precisely twice in the Gospels, once here and once again in Matthew's account of the same scene. It's the word from which we derive in English metamorphosis. Uh, Jesus was literally metamorphosed on the Mount of Transfiguration. Once you, it's the kind of word that once you hear it, you're not likely to forget it. This is metamorphosis Sunday, you might say. The word appears precisely twice more in all of the New Testament and both times in the letters of Paul. But Paul chooses the word to describe something that happens in the life of the believer. Something that happens to us. And Paul is not the kind of guy who chooses his words carelessly. In Romans uh, chapter 12, Paul urges metamorphosis of our, of, our, of our spiritual lives by the transformation of our minds, he says. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul says, When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. With unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, we are being transformed into the image, into the same image from one degree of glory to another. The word is metamorphosis. We're being metamorphosed from one degree of glory to another. In fact, J.B. Phillips, that great Anglican tra uh, translator, uses the word transfigured. We're being transfigured, just like, I mean, like, like Jesus somehow, to become from one degree of glory to another, to be like more like him who we see. Paul pictures himself on the mountaintop, transfigured with Jesus too. He pictures the Corinthians, and he pictures the Romans. He pictures Minnesotans on the mountaintop, bathed in the light of Jesus and covered by his grace and clothed in his love. When one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. I remember a beautiful chorus when I was a young man. I was once, believe it or not. And I was attending the Jesus People Church on Cedar and Riverside Avenue on the West Bank. I am covered over by the robe of righteousness that Jesus gives to me, the chorus goes. I am covered over by the precious blood of Jesus, and he lives in me. What a joy it is to know the Heavenly Father loves me so. He gives to me my Jesus. And when he looks at me, he sees not what I used to be, but he sees Jesus. It's a great chorus. 
Jesus People Chirp is no longer there, but, the, but it's, still, it's still a good chorus. This is like a lamp shining in a dark place, to borrow an image from St. Peter. This is like a morning, this is like the morning star rising in your hearts. The switch is thrown, and we can see by faith that we are accepted and restored and forgiven and made whole forever in Jesus. You see, we're not defined by our moon boots, yes? We're more than our brokenness, more even than our sin, and certainly more than our irrepressible clumsiness. I believe in Christianity, C.S. Lewis said one time, as I believe that the sun is risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else, including himself. This is the theme of transfiguration. By the light of Jesus, we see everything new. But now in conclusion, and maybe in deference to my orthopedist, an important footnote. That's a pun that was sort of accidental, actually. <laughs> we must not picture the kind of switch as if Jesus is, if Jesus is any kind of switch at all, we, we mustn't picture the kind of switch that you have to muscle into the on position on your own. I mean, there are some, there are some things that orthopedic med medicine just can't do. We mustn't imagine feeling our way along some dark hallway and then like finding a, finding a, finding a spiritual toggle on the wall, putting our shoulder into it and trying to wrestle the thing into on somehow or another. You know, people try to do that by their penance, let's say, or by their effort, let's say, or by the degree of seriousness on the scale of seriousness in your prayers, let's say, or maybe by your doctrinal cleverness, maybe. That would be a nightmare. God throws this switch and God has thrown this switch. This is the significance of the voice from the cloud. The Father speaks out of heaven. He says, here is my son. Listen to him. It is as if to say, okay, boys and girls, I've thrown the switch. <laughs> right? In this one, the light has come. We see this light at work in baptism in just a few moments. We bring nothing. He gives everything. We see that we're immersed in Christ, submerged in his grace, then risen to new life and made part of his family. We see this gospel light on the, at the table Sunday by Sunday. We bring nothing, he gives everything. We see that we're forgiven in Christ and washed in his blood every time that we come without condition or reservation. And if we have eyes of faith to see it, we can see this light shining all through our lives. I mean, like, since the word became flesh, and dwelt among us, it's hardwired. It's hardwired into our world. Jesus is the switch. And in Jesus, heaven's light is on. Tree orthopedics is really good at an awful lot of things, but this is better. Amen. May the Lord bless you. Amen.